concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I want to give you a little prophecy here. That command is going to be so real to the church in our day. It is so real now. I'll give you one quick example. The Da Vinci Code, Sweeping the Country. I've had several requests to say something about that book here. And I, I will. I, I don't need to spend any more than 10 minutes on it. It's a bunch of foolishness. And people who really know the word are not thrown by it. They're not thrown by it. But here is the day we live in. We're going to have to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. So if there's ever a timely book to be going through, it's this one for right now. Not just here, but over the air. I want this to go as far and wide as it can. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for feeding us, for speaking to us, for ministering to us deep in our souls. Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand what the Lord is speaking through this inspired text. And make us a people who have an answer for the faith that lives in us. Now, will you just breathe a prayer and say, speak to me tonight, Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Let's get right into it. Can everybody see that all right? Is it clear? All right. Now, let's just, let's just go through it. Beloved, when he opens up with beloved, that's the Greek word agape toy. And I love this because it means beloved ones. That is divinely loved ones. Loved by God. Can you say it with me? I'm a divinely loved one. Isn't that good? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. You are agape toy. Divinely loved ones. God loves you. Now, he says, very diligent. While I was very diligent to write to you. Now, Jude is pouring out his heart. He's pouring out what he experienced as he began to write this letter. He's going to tell us what drove him, how he went through the process of getting down to writing this that we now read and are fed by. He says, I was very diligent. The word there is spude. That's the Greek word, spude, diligent. And it means to speed, to hasten, to desire something earnestly. Now, I want to give you an example of what that word, or where that word is used somewhere else so you can get the idea. When he says, I was very diligent to write to you. In Mark 6, 25, uh, Herod's granddaughter has, is, has danced that sensual dance. And he has said to her, you tell me what you want and I'll give it to you. He had no idea of the devils that were resting in the hearts of his wife and um, daughter-in-law. And he says... She came out of there and said, here's what I want, after talking to Herodias, her mother. Here's what I want. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I think the Herod was shocked and stunned. I think he did not, he didn't know what to make of this, but he couldn't back down from his word. Now it says, when she came out to give him that message, it says, immediately she, Herod's daughter-in-law, came in with haste. That's spude. The same word that is translated into diligent. So she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So you get the idea that when Herodias uh, uh, 
and the daughter hatched this plan, there was a, an urgency to get it done. So they came out speedily and said, I want the head of John the Baptist. Same word. So we're getting now the feeling that when Jude began to be moved on to write this letter, there was an urgency. There was an urgency. That's what Spude is telling us. Jude is saying that he felt a strong urgency to write this letter, a pressing to get it done and get it sent. Now the word common where he says up in the verse to write to you concerning our common salvation. The word common is koinos and it means to become a sharer, a partner. The idea is of a common salvation possessed in common with others. Guess what, everybody? The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all people everywhere. It is not for just a few. It's for all people everywhere. So he calls it the common salvation, which means the salvation for everyone. That's why it needs to be preached all over the world to every race, color, and creed. It's the salvation of Jesus Christ for everybody. Amen? Now he says, I found it necessary Now, I want you to catch this. I found it necessary. Literally, I had need. I was compelled, driven, or constrained to write to you, whether by force, threats, persuasion, or entreaties. This compulsion to exhort the saints to fight for the faith found its source in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was moving on Jude with an urgency. And I tell you, when I read the letter, I feel this urgency. You can, it just kind of comes out and it grabs you by the throat. Jude is speaking out of, out of being pressed by the Holy Spirit. And he says, the phrase, I found it necessary, is in the aorist tense. Now, here's what that means. In the Greek language, it's called the aorist tense, and here's what it means. It's very simple. It means that the letter had to be written at once and could not be pre- prepared for at Jude's leisure. Necessity was laid upon him. Aorist means something happened in the past. It happened and was done. Here's what he's saying. I had an urgency on me by the Holy Spirit that was so pressing that I realized I was, I, this was not up to me waiting till I felt like it. It was not to be at my leisure. But God was putting an urgency on me to get it done and over with. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, but I can remember when God called me to preach and to teach. When it really began to get a hold of me, it was something where I had no option about waiting for it to take place in my leisure. Well, you know, someday I'll preach and teach. Someday, you know, when I'm a little older and, you know, a little wiser and whatever. No, I was 18 years old, and God said, do it now. But Lord, I don't know anything. Do it now. You know that I save people. That's all you need to know. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know, some things God leaves up to your leisure. He'll say, you know, this is something that in time you know you're going to do it. But then there are other times where God says, get it done. Get it done now. And I don't know if there's anything like that in your life right now, but I can tell you the Holy Spirit will do this. With some things, he'll say, get it done now. There's a pressing. There, there is an urgency. You know that if you put it off, you're, you're really almost sinning. Because God's saying, do it now. This is what Jude is saying. He said, 
at first I was just going to write you a letter about the doctrines of salvation. And I had a good plan in mind. I was going to write it at my leisure. But then the Holy Ghost got a hold of me. This is what he's saying. And he said, no, write what I show you now. Do it now. Do it now. So if there's one of those things operating in your life right now, I got a word from the Lord for you. Do it. Nike was right. Just do it. Okay? Jude had intended at his leisure to write a letter containing a positive presentation of the doctrines of the Christian faith. That's what he starts out with in verse 3. I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Do you know what he's saying there? That's what I was going to do. But then it got changed up on me. But the Holy Spirit changed all that and laid necessity on his heart to write in defense of the faith. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to earnestly contend for the faith. I can tell you as a preacher, I've had the Holy Ghost change up on me things before. I've come all the way here with one message and the Lord said, you're wrong, you missed it, here's what I want you to say. And he puts an urgency on you. Jude is telling us in the beginning of verse 3, I was going to write you a nice little letter, but now God said, write him and tell him, you better fight for the faith. You better fight for the faith. Earnestly contend. Wow, what a phrase. Listen to this. This phrase is found only here in the New Testament. The word contend is taken from a Greek word that was used of athletes contending in the athletic contest. It speaks of vigorous, intense, determined struggle to defeat the opposition. Our word agony is taken from the Greek word for contend. The Greek athletes exerted themselves to the point of agony in an effort to win the contest. Now, church, i got a revelation for you tonight. Jude is saying by the Holy Ghost, this is what the Holy Ghost interrupted him with. He said, no, Jude, you're not going to write about the doctrines of the Christian faith. You've got to, you better tell the church that they're going to have to agonizingly, sternly defend in a fight for the faith. It's going to get down to blood and guts and gore. That's what he's saying. It's going to get down to swinging, hitting, bruising, hurting, taking to the mat. This is a fight for survival, Jude. And tell them, you're going to have to like an athlete, even if it comes down to agonizingly defending the faith. Now, church, I'm going to tell you, I believe that's where we are. That's where we are. Just watch the media. Just watch television. Watch, watch how the debate, the, the, the temperature of the, de- the debate about Jesus Christ has been turned way, way up. Now we've got this book that, is, that, that has sold 40 million copies. It doesn't bother me any. But it is overthrowing the faith of many, many people who are believing all kinds of silliness and foolishness that Mary Magdalene married Jesus and they had children and the Christly lineage has now been passed down in the form of human beings and all this baloney. Attacking the virgin birth and attacking the purity of Jesus Christ, attacking the, the 
core beliefs of the church. I hear Jude speaking. I hear God speaking through him to us. Get ready to fight for the faith once delivered to the saints. Jude says that with the same intense effort, we should defend the doctrines of Christianity. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 how we are to do that. Let's read it together, can we? Be ready always. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that means you. And don't look at me and say it. That means you. That's not the, just the preachers. That's not just the pastors. Do you know why I'm going through books like this? So that you can do this. So let's start again. Be ready always to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Always. At all times. Because you never know when somebody's going to say, you know, I don't believe the way you do. How do you, what do you mean Jesus Christ was the Son of God? There's a lot of possibilities. There's a lot of ways to God. We don't have to believe the way you do to be saved. And if, if you don't know your Bible, you're overthrown. Now the word or the phrase give a defense is a technical term in the Greek language of the law courts. Speaking of the attorney for the defense, presenting a verbal defense for his client. That's what Jude used, or Peter rather. Christians are to be ready to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Can you do that? If somebody says to you, uh, how can you prove that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Uh, what do you mean, born of a virgin? We all know that's myths and fables, and he didn't really rise from the dead, and that's just another religion that man made up. And uh, Come on now, you don't really believe all. And, and, and there is, an, there is a, a concerted attack. I was listening to a secular talk show on the way here, and this secular talk show host said, if you are a conservative, you're going to come under attack. If you're a Christian, you're going to be crucified. Well, maybe so. But if we have an answer and we can verbally contend for the faith once delivered to the saints, who's going to be crucified? I want to hold out to the culture of Christ and Him crucified. But the whole message of Jude is, you know, guys, I was going to write you something else, but the Holy Spirit interrupted me, and he said, write them and do it now and tell them. Fight for the faith. Be ready, even if it comes to agonizing blows. It's going to get bloody. Once for all, meaning no other faith will be given. There isn't any other faith. Not that gets you to heaven, not that saves your soul, because there's no other religious leader who died for your sins. Muhammad never did. Buddha never did. Only Jesus said, I came to die. I came to die for your sins. I came to die in your place. I came to rise from the dead so that you can be raised from the dead. There is no other human being in history who said what he said, made the claims that he made. He was either truly 
a true psychotic lunatic, deluded, pitifully, or he was the Son of God. Jude said, answer it. Fight for it. Hebrews 9.28 says, can we read it together? So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Amen. Now, if you wanted to take the book of Hebrews and you wanted to just boil it down to, to, and sum it up with just three words, the book of Hebrews will be summed up once for all. The whole theme of Hebrews is once for all. He's the, the better way, the better sacrifice, the better answer, the better truth. He's better, 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 better. One word that sums up Hebrews is better. But a phrase, the one phrase that sums it up is once for all. It doesn't need to happen again. God who at sundry times through the prophets and others spoke to us has now spoken to us through his son period. There's not ever going to be another one. No more, not, not another sacrifice. There's nothing you can do to make it better. Nothing you can do to add to it. There's nothing you need to add to it. It is finished. He covered our sins. It's done. It's once for all. Delivered means to deliver to someone something to keep, to use, to take care of, or to manage. Jude is saying that God gave the Christian doctrines to the saints as a deposit of truth to be guarded. If we don't guard the truth and hang on to the truth and hold up the truth before this world, who will? It won't come by the manifestation of angels because God chose the church to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. So God has given us, the church, these truths. And they are not to be watered down, not diluted, not polluted, none of that. We hold up the absolute truth of the gospel. Once for all, Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. Now let's read the expanded translation of verse 3. Let's read it together, can we? Divinely loved ones, when giving all diligence to be writing to you concerning the salvation possessed in common by all of us, I had constraint laid upon me to write to you, beseeching you to contend with intensity and determination once for all entrusted into the safekeeping of the saints. Wow. And you know, you look at that early church. They fought to the death for the truth. They fought to the death. And I want you to notice, those of you who went through 1 John with me, we, we talked over and over again about why he wrote it. Why he wrote it? Because of the agnostic teaching. The agnostic um, teaching, or, or the, yeah, the, not the agnostic. What am I thinking? Gnostic. Somebody said to me today, I'm an agnostic, and that's in my head. I said, you are? Really? Yeah, I think I'm an agnostic. You know what that means? It means no knowledge. They said, well, maybe I'm really not a full-blown agnostic. Anyway, the Gnostic teaching. And, and notice that John wrote his letter because of false teaching. Now, why is Jude writing this? False teachers. There was an invasion of false teaching. And nothing has changed. 
and they allowed themselves to be martyred to fight earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. Okay? I predict to you that the real church is going to have to grow a spine of steel in the days to come here in good old America. So what was it that was so upsetting to Jude? Here we go, verse 4. Can we read it together? For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I read that and I just picture roaches creeping into a room. He says they creep in. Crept in is from a Greek word meaning to enter alongside. Literally, to get in by the side, to slip in a side door. That's how he's saying these false teachers got in the church. It's like they slipped in through the side door, stealth-like. This is how false teachers get into a church. You know how they do it? They enter the pulpits by dishonesty and stealth. They pretend to be orthodox or sound in their beliefs, but actually they're not, and they know they're not. But they say all the right things using evangelical terms such as salvation, faith, atonement, resurrection, born again. But they place their own private meanings on them, which are not scriptural. Will you notice with me how these apostles, now Jude didn't call himself one, but he's in the Bible, Jude, John, Peter, Paul, how angry they got at any twisting of the pure truth of God I mean they just got ticked righteous anger filled them and we're about to feel it because Jude is rough on these guys we would call them creepy teachers or teachers that creep even a rattlesnake will give you a warning before it strikes but not false teachers they appear as angels of light. Oh, they'll say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, bless God. Did Jesus come in the flesh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, sure he did. Because remember, that test was only for people who believed in Gnosticism. If you were a Gnostic, you'd say, no, he didn't come in the flesh. But there's a bunch of other kinds of false teachers who will say, sure, he came in the flesh. And they'll say all the right things, but as you listen, you begin to say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. I'm not hearing the word that I've read. I'm not hearing the Christian truths I was raised on. I'm hearing a little twist and a little pull and a little change and a little skewing of the truth. I had to use the Message Bible's translation of 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15 when he talks about angels of light. (laughs) Let's just read this together. This is Paul talking about false teachers. They're a sorry bunch. I just wanted that to go on tape. That just sounds like Texas talk. So let's just try it again. They're a sorry bunch. Doesn't that just ring true? Pseudo, let's read it, pseudo apostles, lying preachers, crooked workers, posing as Christ's agents, but sham to the core. And no wonder, Satan does it all the time, dressing up as a beautiful angel of light, 
So it shouldn't surprise us when his servants masquerade as servants of God. But they're not getting by with anything. They'll pay for it in the end. I, I'll tell you what, I just, I'm going to make a, just a recording of, they're a sorry bunch. And every once in a while, I'll just put it in there on the radio show. It, it just, I like it. Now, look what he says. They were marked out for this condemnation. They were marked out for this condemnation. The false teacher were marked out. Now, when I read that, it's careful. You've got to be careful that you don't assume that he's saying that God made them that way. Because God didn't. Marked out means to write beforehand. It is not saying that God made them this way. Rather, Jude is referring to a prophecy from Enoch found in verse 14. So I want to read that prophecy from Enoch. This is the only thing I know from Enoch in the Bible. Enoch. So let's read it. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam. This is in verse 14 of Jude. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. Now watch this now. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him being Jesus. Do you know that when people say something harsh against Jesus, Enoch prophesied that's going to come under judgment. So these comedians that go on national television and they make fun of Jesus, I'll tell you, anytime you've ever, if you've ever made fun of Jesus, I mean, repent. And those of you listening by radio, if you've ever made fun of repent. Because he said right there, the Lord's coming with 10,000s of his saints. Why? For what reason? He's going to execute judgment on all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Jesus. It's a dangerous thing to speak against Jesus. Dangerous. It's just so dangerous. Those words fly out of your mouth. It's like sending an email. Once you push send, you can't get it back. Now he says that they were they were marked for this condemnation. The word condemnation is krima, meaning judgment of what is wrong. As in the decision that one passes on the faults of others, Enoch wrote beforehand prophesying that false teachers would enter the midst of God's people and attempt to destroy sound doctrine or teaching, creeping in unaware, specialists at masquerading, as being one thing when in fact they are something totally different. Now I'm so glad that none of that's going on in our day and that it all went away back then. Y'all better smile at me. Don't amen me. When he talks about ungodly people, he means destitute of reverential awe toward God. They have no fear of God, not any. Turning means to transpose two things. When he said turning the grace of God into lewdness, turning means to transpose two things, switching out one thing for another. Switching one thing for another. Okay? 
That's what they do. They switch grace for lewdness. Now let's talk about lewdness. What in the world is lewdness? If you've got a King James Bible, you're going to see a long word called lasciviousness. That's almost as bad as concupiscence. All right? But here it is. When he says that they switch out, they exchange the grace of God for lewdness, then what are these people doing? These false teachers. It means he who acknowledges no restraints, who follows whatever his wanton lusts may suggest. You know who these people, you know what they teach? I do my thing, you do your thing. Do whatever feels right. Just, just fly. Just follow your own emotions, your own impulses. Don't submit yourself to the word or the authority of God. Do whatever you want to do. Anybody who does that is a fool because you're going to shipwreck in no time. But that's what somebody lewd or lascivious, that's how they live. They don't live with any authority over their life. Ever know anybody like that? You ever been that way? B.C., before Christ? Sure. To a great level, we were all rebels. We were all anarchists. We were not submitted to God. It's, it's the Spirit which refuses to acknowledge the authority of God's Word and instead sits in judgment on the Word. God didn't give us this Word for us to judge it. He gave us the Word for it to judge us. And if you let it judge you, you will live clean and successful and holy. But if you start judging it, picking it apart, questioning, saying, well, I don't know if God really said that and taking out this and taking out that. And you say, well, you know, I'm just going to go whatever feels right to me. The Bible has a warning. There is a way. There is a way. There are options that look right to a man. But the end thereof, the end of it is the ways, the pathways, the road, the highway to death. The Bible is very clear. If you follow your own impulses, you will perish because we've got fallen natures. We're living in a tent of flesh, and it's always going to gravitate towards dirt. Amen. Now he says, deny. Here's what they do. Denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word deny means they're to disown. It's used of the followers of Jesus Christ who for fear of death or persecution deny that Jesus is their master and desert his cause. It also uh, applies to those who by cherishing hostile opinions of Christ or walk in immorality are judged to have apostatized from God and from Christ. That's what it means to deny. You can say, well, I know him, but if you're out there living in a way that is totally contrary to him, then the Bible calls that apostasy. And I, wanna, I, I believe that a great big chunk of the church, and I'm talking about the mainstream, institutionalized, denominational church, a big slice of that pie has apostatized. They, they've walked away from the truth. They've walked away from the authority of God's Word. See, the minute you say... Well, you know, it was fun for a while, but bye. And you start walking your own way. It's not going to be long. We're going to hear about it. You will self-destruct. 
And when a whole denomination says, we're not going to follow that anymore, we're going to go against it. We, we've, we've become illuminated. We, we, we've, we're modern. Uh, we're not archaic and, 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 um, and um, petrified and, and narrow like that. We're broad-minded. You know, I'm narrow-minded. I'm, I'm narrow-minded because Jesus said it was a narrow way. And so I'm narrow-minded when it comes to this. There is only one way to salvation, and it's Christ. I'm narrow-minded when it comes to this. This is the God-breathed Word. I'm narrow-minded when it comes to there is no other way to salvation but through Him. I'm narrow-minded when it comes to if you don't repent and come to Him, you're lost. I'm narrow-minded in some things because Jesus gave us a narrow way. So here they go. They say, we don't need it. Now we're about done. And what do they do? They deny the Lord. Jews said they deny the Lord. Now this was interesting to me. Usually in the New Testament, the Greek word used for Lord is kurios, kurios, kind of like curious. It's K-U-R-I-O-S, kurios. But here he uses despotes, despotes. And when he said they deny the Lord, despotes speaks of one who is an absolute owner and has uncontrolled power over someone else. The word despotes is always used of God the Father in the New Testament. Here's what Jude is saying. These false teachers disown the authority and ownership of Almighty God over all things, including themselves. They deny the sovereignty and the ownership of God. Can I tell you about God? He owns those chairs. He owns you. He owns your car. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. All he's got to do is kindly blink and you lose everything. Uh, I mean, he holds all things by the power of his word, according to Colossians. Everything is literally all the molecular atomic structures of all material things are held together by the power of his word. If he went boo, whoosh, it'd be gone. So he's the owner of the universe. And he says, these people say, I deny him. And it's just so stupid and foolish. Because all he's got to do is say, really, blink, and you're gone. You're gone. Your heart stops. Because he gave you that next heartbeat. He gave it to you. It's all, David said, my times are in your hand. You know exactly when I'm going to breathe my last. Before I was born, you saw me dying. He was at the end before the beginning began. God knows all things. So to say, I deny his sovereign control and ownership. I don't want to have a thing to do with the whole concept of God. God says, there you have an apostate. And that's the false teachers. And Let's do the, let's stand up and do the expanded translation and we're done. How many of you are getting anything out of this tonight? All right. Now, next week, next week, wait till you see the way he describes these people. He's going to talk about the fallen angels and tell us things you've probably not heard. We're going to talk about fallen angels during Noah's day. We're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened there. We're going to talk about uh, the children of Israel and why God wiped them out. It's, it's powerful stuff here in Jude. So let's read the expanded translation. Ready? For certain men entered surreptitiously who were of old, 
predicted with reference to this judgment, men destitute of reverential awe towards God, putting anarchy in the place of the grace of God and denying the only absolute master and our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, we don't deny him here. Can we just lift our hands and bless the Lord tonight? Lord, we just thank you for this powerful word. And Lord, we know that you're arming your church to be able to give an answer in this perilous time we're living in. We see the faith that Jude was commanded by the Lord to defend and tell the saints to defend. We see that faith under vicious attack in our day, and it's only increasing in the West. So, Lord, we ask you to give us tongues of wisdom, the knowledge we need to, in love and in meekness, give an answer that will close the mouths of the critics. Now, I just feel, let's ask God to give us, as a church body, hearts of wisdom. Hearts of wisdom. You are going to defend the faith somewhere in your orbit. You need to know that, where you stand. In your family, at your workplace, somewhere, somehow, you're going to find yourself in a position of needing to be ready to give an answer. Let's just ask God for wisdom. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, we can't do it without you, but with you and in you and through you, we can do it. All things through Christ who strengthens us. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us to be a church of love, but also a church of force, of power, who can give an answer. And help us to have, Lord, a big net to draw the lost in. We thank you for it. I just pray your blessing on your people tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, give the Lord a hand of praise tonight, can we? Amen.